Jesus has never shied away from uncleanness. Instead, Jesus hasn't been defiled by people's uncleanness. He has purged their uncleanness. Situations in life can change everything. And this is the, one of the common themes in all three stories is the situation in these people's life has driven them to such a place of desperation that they come and they fall at Jesus' feet. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And notice Jesus' response. And he went. No discussion. No saying to Jairus, look, can, can you not see? There's 400 people here. Can you? I just got back I, I, two days in a row. I sailed across the sea. I just got back from this really quick, hard trip. Prior to that, I had that full day of teaching. I'm just really, can, can I come maybe a little bit later? Maybe I can take a little rest, a little nap. Can I come in the morning? No, none of that. Jesus immediately went. Now, in my mind's eye, and let me encourage you to also make this your picture, your your viewing, your understanding of what has happened here. I see it playing out like this. I see Jesus flocked by this crowd, thronged by this crowd. And let's try to picture the crowd correctly. Take away from your your vision and your mind, take away from your mind's eye any idea that's sort of like this, oh, I don't know, Bible story book idea of Jesus and the crowds in which you see Jesus and He's walking along the path and there's all these followers around Him and they're sort of gazing up at Him lovingly and Jesus is leading Him on to the next rendezvous, the next miracle, the next healing, the next teaching, whatever it may be. And everybody's just sort of following along with Jesus, looking up with Him with an adoration and then glancing to where Jesus is taking them. Take that and remove it from your mind. That's a fairy tale view of the crowds around Jesus. Jesus is not leading this crowd anywhere. Jesus is mobbed by the crowd. Jesus is in the center and the crowd is flocking around him from all sides and they're not there to have Jesus lead them anywhere. So Jesus' travel, Jesus' movement, and this is one of the central points of the crowds is that Jesus' movement is terribly inhibited by the presence of that crowd. In fact, so much so that that's really going to provide the context for the story because Jesus' movement isn't quick enough and that's going to give rise to the events of the story that we're familiar with. And so this mob flocked around Jesus, loud, chaotic. Here comes Jairus somehow gets up to Jesus. Maybe he has some friends. He is an influential guy. Maybe some other workers at the synagogue help him get to Jesus. But he somehow gets to Jesus, falls down before Jesus' feet, and with a loud voice so that Jesus can hear him because there's people talking everywhere. There's chaos. There's loud uh, voices everywhere. So with a loud voice, he pleads, can you please come? My little one, my precious little daughter is at the point of death. Jesus, who has been scattering seeds since the beginning. Jesus, who himself told the parable of the soils, knowing there's four kinds of soils. Jesus looks at this man and sees good soil. And from that point, in my mind, I see a seriousness come over Jesus. And I see Jesus' 
would just a serious demeanor suddenly come over him and basically say, let's go. And then from that point, Jairus comes up and, and they together begin trying to fight their way through the crowd. People tr- touching Jesus, reaching for him, blocking his way. And from that point on, they're trying to make their way through the crowd. But Jesus immediately stops what he's doing and goes to this man's rescue. The availability of Jesus, the accessibility of Jesus is something that really just impresses us in each and every story. Jesus was always available which should strike us very sharply because virtually all of us, when there is opportunity to serve another, serve another in Jesus' name or minister to someone, virtually all of us will take that opportunity and weigh it through the scales of how does this impact me? Do I have time for this? Is this how I should spend my time? Can I, can I do this and then get back in time? Is this going to cost me too much? I have through my life known maybe just a small handful of Christians that I could genuinely say when a need came to them, they didn't look through that filter. They didn't look through that because that's what we all do. We look through the lens of me and what will this mean to me to meet this need? Jesus never did. Jesus was accessible. He was ready to go. He was full of compassion. He was compelled to go to the need. Never once seemingly thinking of himself or the exhaustion that he certainly has encountered up to this point. He immediately says, let's go. This is the master. Uh, And so he says, verse 24, and he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And that's the point where Luke uses the word that literally means choked him. So the crowd, remember back in chapter three, where, where Jesus says, have this little boat. Handy, just in case the crowd gets too aggressive, just in case they are going to trample me or crush me. So the crowd throngs about him. Now verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So the story just changed, just turned on a dime. And so the contrasts are easy for all of us to see, aren't they? There was a man. There was a woman. The man had a name. The woman doesn't have a name. The man has a status. The woman has no status. The man has a need. The woman has a need. The man is desperate. The woman is desperate. But neither one has an advantage and neither one has a disadvantage. In fact, we could expand it back to the demonized man and say, here we see a man, a Gentile man, whose heart is good soil, whom the Lord is calling unto Himself, but He is held in the grip of slavery to these demons. And He is a literal wild man, naked, living in the tombs. Then comes the most important man in Capernaum, a man of means, a man of wealth, a man who could probably finance the rest of Jesus' ministry if He wanted to. And then comes a woman, a nameless woman, with a discharge of blood. None of them come to Jesus with any advantage. None of them come to Jesus with any disadvantage. The woman is not disadvantaged by her place. The man is not advantaged by his place. So two polar opposites coming to Jesus. The woman, we're told, has this discharge of blood. Mark doesn't go into detail. Neither do Matthew, neither do Luke, because that's not important to the story. It's 
apparently some type of uterine hemorrhaging that she that she has. We don't know her age. We don't know if this is something that maybe she's an elderly person and this has come on late in life. We don't know. Maybe she's a teenager or in her 20s and this began as her uh, monthly cycle began. And it's something that's, that's been since the start. We don't know. But we know that she has this discharge of blood and it is great. We'll look at the suffering that she endures in the next verse. But this hemorrhaging of blood we should begin by noticing that this makes her, of course, ritually unclean for, we're told, 12 years now. 12 years running, she is ritually unclean. The Scriptures teach us that for that normal cycle in a woman's month, that the woman is rendered ritually unclean, ceremonially unclean, and so is anyone or everyone who touches her unclean until the end of that day. Now you might say, what a strange thing, what a... What a discriminating kind of thing. What an odd thing for God to say that that makes a woman unclean. And all, without going into too much detail, all of that relates back to God teaching us of the nature of sin. Because that period in a woman's life is related to childbirth, conception and childbirth. And we're told, the scriptures tell us that we're all what? Conceived in sin. We're all born in sin. And so God's teaching us even that is something that must be cleansed by me. Even that is something that is not in and of itself something that can stand before me. I must sanctify that. I must cleanse that. Okay. So the regular period of a woman is something that renders her unclean. But also we're told in Leviticus that if it continues past the normal period, that the woman is unclean for as long as it continues, which means now for 12 years, the woman has been ritually, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, meaning that she could not enter the temple, nor could she enter the synagogue. Now, one of Jairus's duties was to supervise who entered the synagogue. Maybe, I just wonder, maybe, do you think this is possible? Do you think Jairus ever turned her away? Do you think Jairus knew this woman and knew her to be someone that he would not allow in his synagogue? Maybe. And now this woman is interrupting this most important of missions. I don't know, perhaps. But in whatever case, this woman is rendered essentially a leper because she is, she is restricted from the assembly of God's people and to be restricted from the assembly of God's people for 12 years absolutely means that there can be no spiritual health there, period. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you you tell me you love Jesus. I don't care how much you tell me you read your Bible. If you have not gathered with the people of God for 12 years, there is no spiritual health there. Spiritual health is found in God's people. So she has been denied that for a dozen years now. Her spiritual condition, her social condition, her mental condition, her emotional condition, not to mention the physical condition, the weakness that must have resulted from just a constant hemorrhaging, making her most likely someone that would be very, very difficult to keep a proper weight on, losing that much blood on a regular basis. 
or someone whose immune system was healthy enough to fight off all the regular little diseases and viruses and bugs that go around, someone who loses a a significant amount of blood on a regular basis would have a very, very weak immune system. So this is some something that she has suffered and dealt with for, we're told, 12 years. So we're told that there was this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, verse 26, and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So we see the three, the three parallel views of her suffering. Mark just hammers us one, two, three with her suffering. Just just express to us just the depth of this woman's suffering over the last 12 years. We're told, first of all, she has suffered much under many physicians. So the, the picture that we're given there, the implication is that she has gone to many physicians to help, to, to, to implore them to help her in this condition. And not only have they not helped her, but she has suffered under their treatments. So we can only imagine what the primitive medicine of the day, what sort of approaches they might take to such a thing. I mean, this is an internal medicine type of thing. So what sort of approaches would have been taken in these days? Some of them, no doubt, would have been bizarre. Some of them, no doubt, would have been absolutely not not only unhelpful, but harmful. And she suffered much, meaning that not only the condition itself is her suffering, but her attempts to alleviate the suffering have made the suffering worse. Furthermore, we're told that that, uh, she has spent all that she had. Now, we don't know if that means that she was a lower class woman and she spent what little she had, or she was a middle class woman and she spent her middle class resources, or she was a wealthy woman and spent all of her wealth. We don't know. But either way, the result is the same. She's got nothing left. She spent everything that she has seeking some sort of help, some sort of remedy, some sort of alleviation of her condition. She spent everything. So now not only does she have this condition that makes her unclean ritually, and it also makes her weak and sickly, but it also has now made her destitute. She spent everything that she had. And we're told that not only was she not any better, but she was even worse. So apparently the treatments that she has sought out not only did not help her, but worsened her condition. She's made not better, but she's made worse. So she spent all all of her money. And in spending the money, it actually makes her condition worse. Her suffering is tremendous here. It's significant. It is not to be ignored just how deeply this woman has suffered, not for a short time, but for 12 years. Now, it's interesting to me. I always am interested in just the different personal perspective of the different gospel writers. And so as we're talking about the physicians here, it's interesting to me that both Matthew and Mark take the same position, which is to imply that the physicians did her no good, that the physicians sort of took her money and made everything worse and put her through these really embarrassing and difficult treatments. Luke, who is a physician, takes a little bit of a different story. He presents it like this, that she spent all she had on the physicians and they couldn't help her because she had an incurable disease. Isn't that interesting? I mean, doesn't that just show you the reality of Scripture? Doesn't that just show you the, the expected, the natural different perspectives? Can you not imagine that if someone that you know has this long standing disease, this long standing medical issue, and they go to different doctors and none of the doctors are able to cure them? Can you imagine that their perspective is, well, these doctors, they took my money 
and they did this and they did that. None of them helped me. But can you also imagine that the same perspective from the doctor's side would be, we tried, but it, it, it was beyond it was beyond medical curing, right? And that just shows you Luke has that perspective. But Mark takes the perspective that the physicians not only didn't help her, but they've added to her suffering. No better, but she grew worse. So she's gone everywhere she could go. She sought out everything she could seek out and nothing has helped her. She is the picture of the person who has tried everything, who's tried this sport, this hobby, this career path, this education path, this place in life, this outlook, this religion, this faith practice. They've tried everything and nothing satisfied them. Nothing fulfilled them. In fact, everything just seems to have made them more empty. She's the picture of that person that we see walking around the street all around us every single day. They've tried everything except Jesus. They've tried everything except faith in God and everything has come up empty. She is the picture of that very type of person. So she was no better, but no grew, grew worse. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and hearing the reports, she came. So she's heard about Jesus. And how does faith come? Faith comes by Romans 10, 17, by hearing. She has heard of Jesus and she's heard some things about him, some reports perhaps about what he teaches, some reports perhaps about how he heals, casts out demons, cleanses lepers. She's heard and in her heart is the beginnings of a, what we'll see is a genuine faith. She's heard about this and hearing about this, the Lord has drawn her unto himself. So she now came, having heard she came to Jesus and she didn't just come in any way. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. So as she touches his garment, we see how the story is going to play out. But just to sort of skip ahead, she touches him, the healing comes her uncleanness in no way causes Jesus to shy away. And that's something we've seen since the very beginning. Jesus is not afraid of uncleanness. In fact, Jesus just returned from the most unclean place in all the scriptures. The Gentile land with a man filled with unclean spirits, living in the most unclean cemetery, living among the tombs, living among 2,000 pigs, living among people who are pig herders, the most unclean it could possibly be. Jesus isn't afraid of that. Jesus isn't offended by that. He goes to it. Jesus has never shied away from uncleanness. Instead, Jesus hasn't been defiled by people's uncleanness. He has purged their uncleanness. So and the same thing is going to happen here. So she hears the reports about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. We can just picture her. Somehow she navigates herself to the rear of Jesus. He's facing away from her. And somehow she navigates up into the crowd, touching people as she goes, making them what? Ritually unclean, touching people as she goes. And she gets close enough to Jesus. And we're told that she's saying to herself, She's saying to herself, repeat, if I can just touch his garment, if I can just reach out, if I can just touch his garment, if I can, she says, I, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. 